0: so good to um, be gathered with everybody here today. And this is the third week of a series we're calling Can't We Just Talk? Pastor Darren kicked this off the first week. And he talked about this idea that when there is unaddressed issues in our relationships, then that's a, a highway to dysfunction in relationships. And yet, when we lean into those issues and we begin to talk about these issues, then that can be, most of the time, a highway for healing in our relationships. And then last week, Pastor John talked about loneliness and how being adopted into the family of God helps to bridge that gap of loneliness, how the church can bridge that gap for people who maybe have found themselves forsaken in life. And uh, today I want to talk about conflict. Come on, anybody in here ever experienced conflict in your interpersonal relationships? No? Okay, we can just pray and go home. And uh, this is not a fun topic to talk about, is it, right? Nobody likes to to lean into conflict, and if you do, I would say you need to check your heart because liking conflict we'll talk about in just a second. But man, we've got to lean into conflict. I'm learning some things about conflict from my kids because they've been playing soccer and we got them into organized sports. And uh, when you, as a parent, get your kids into organized sports with other kids who have parents and there's competition involved, there's conflict that inevitably arises, is there not? Come on, somebody say amen. And so we learned that my my son is five, he was playing kind of up with kids, so we're teaching him how to be aggressive and how to lean in, because soccer at five and six is more like amoeba ball, it's like this one big cluster that just runs around with the ball, and you're kind of like, is that, oh oh, there he is, I see him in the middle of that group, you know, and so we're kind of teaching him, hey get in there, you know, kind of like body up a little bit, and we taught both of our kids, Weston and Natalia, he's five, she's six, you know, you're not supposed to like push or anything, but like get in there with your shoulder. That's it. That's ex- t- entirely acceptable. And so Weston goes in at one point, I remember, and, and I, I saw him kind of like sh- get in the scuffle and getting aggressive. And then he just falls. And I was like, you're actually going to make a really good soccer player. Keep doing that, right? <laughs> Kidding. That's a soccer joke. Sorry. And, and Natalia, on the other hand, she goes... Uh, literally the same day, the game right after Weston, she ends up coming into the scuffle and full-fledged, this girl has this ball, she doesn't even go after the ball, the opponent, she takes her arm, extends it fully and pushes this girl and then runs around without even like doing anything with the ball, runs back around to us, sitting on the sidelines in our lawn chairs with all of the parents and almost like she's, you know, like messy, like whoa, she goes, dad, I pushed her just like you told me to. (laughs) That's not what I said, you know. Here's my question. How does your family deal with conflict? (laughs) Conflict is a tough thing to talk about. That's what I want to talk about. How do we deal with conflict in a healthy way? And we're going to talk about this through the story of Jacob and Esau. We'll dive into the story a little bit in Genesis chapter 33. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 33. And I believe the bottom line is, is that if you don't deal with conflict in a healthy way, conflict will catch up to you. It chases after you if you're not figuring it out. I'll say it this way. We need to learn how to address the distress in our relationships. Genesis 33 is going to show us where we can launch in this. And I've got three questions we need to ask about the conflict in our lives. The first question is this. Is there any unaddressed conflict in my life? Right now as you're sitting here, is there any unaddressed conflict in your life, whether it be with a family member, whether it be with a coworker, whether it be with your spouse? Maybe it was on the way to, work, to church this morning. Hello, right? Is there any unaddressed conflict in my life? This is what it says in Genesis 33, starting in verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Now, we need to stop right there because I need to give you some context I promise you, Esau was not coming to Jacob, his brother, because he wanted to invite Jacob to a round of golf with him. This was not because there was some family reunion. They had matching t-shirts. They're like, sweet, we're bringing our clan, and we're going to join up, and we're going to do this cookout. It's going to be awesome. Esau was coming to Jacob because there was some massive tension between the two of them. And in order to understand the tension, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 25, and we have to look and when we first see Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Esau were brothers. Esau was born first. Jacob came, up, came out of the womb right after him, actually holding onto the heel of Esau, which is why he was named Jacob, which means heel grabber, supplanter, deceiver. And Jacob would make it his business through the most of his life to try to supplant or deceive people to try to get his own gain. And we see this happen in Genesis 27 for, with, with Jacob and Esau for the first time, where Esau and Jacob were extremely different people. Esau was a man's man, rough, rugged type guy. He had hair all over his body. He was kind of redhead. He was a man of the woods. He probably enjoyed hunting. He probably enjoyed going out and riding four-wheelers and shooting rifles. He probably enjoyed watching Bill dance. He probably, like many hunters, would pour sometimes deer pee on himself. And Which, by the way, knock it off, okay? Like, knock it off. Don't, anyways, so he... That was Esau. Wore the Carhartts, wore the, the you know, the, the camo. This was Esau. Jacob was entirely different. Jacob probably wore skinny jeans and a deep scoop neck or V, right? He had a scarf in the summertime. Looked like many of the modern worship leaders in the church today. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. <laughs> um, enjoyed watching HGTV. Because of this, Jacob was favored. <laughs> nothing, I love HGTV. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Clearly, I'm, okay. Anyways. Jacob was favored by his mom, Esau was favored by his dad, and this caused some tension, listen to me, because of the differences. I need you to hear me say this though, conflict does not arise because there's differences between us, conflict arises because there's dishonor between us. Differences are God created, they're God induced, he created us with differences, but when we dishonor the differences, that's when conflict and tension began to arise. And so Esau comes back from hunting, and he's famished, and Jacob is cooking some stew. He's probably watching Chopped or something at that moment. And, and he's cooking some stew. Esau says, give me some stew. I'm famished. Jacob's really conniving. And intelligent, he says, I'll give you some stew if you trade me your birthright. This was the right that was given to every firstborn, and it ensured three things. First, he was going to be extremely wealthy for the rest of his life because he got the lion's share of his dad's inheritance. Second, he was going to be the the leader, the head of the clan when his dad passed away. And third, there was a spiritual implication or a spiritual blessing that was laid on top of him where he was going to have to be blessed his whole family by God. Esau then trades these three things to Jacob for a momentary temporary pleasure. That's a whole other sermon we could get to some other day. And now Jacob has it. Now that's not the issue. That's not what causes the tension. I'm sure that Esau was a little bit disgruntled about that, frustrated by that. But what happens is, is later we see Jacob also deceives for the firstborn blessing. He dresses himself up like Esau. He puts animal uh, skin all over him so that it feels like to his blind father, feels like Esau. His father puts his his hand on his arm and gives him the blessing of the firstborn. And so now Jacob has swindled his older brother Esau out of every one of his blessings. Now do you see why Esau is coming with 400 men to confront Jacob? This is a massive tension. He is coming for war. This is a familial tension and conflict. Why is it that it seems like the people who are closest to us can hurt us the most? Why is it that conflict seems to arise the most among people that we love? Perhaps it's because we we find ourselves in spaces where we're more vulnerable and transparent with them. They know our weaknesses. They tend to use those weaknesses against us. I can promise you the common denominator for all of us in here is that we will at some point be hurt or offended by somebody. It is not a question of if, it's a question of when. The question is not, will we be hurt by somebody? It's when we are hurt by somebody, what will we do? Because pain can tend to perpetuate pain. Hurt people can tend to hurt people. And I'll say this, if God does not do something really powerful inside of your heart, if there's not healing that happens inside of you, if God does not transform your pain, you'll transfer your pain onto somebody else. But the reality is, is that hurt people don't have to hurt people. Hurt people can heal people if we learn how to handle conflict well. If we learn how to be the heartbeat of and the, the hands of Jesus in the middle of conflict. But For whatever reason, we don't like to address this in church, though, because this means there's emotions that are involved. And, and, and I don't know why, but historically, emotions are not something that we talk about in church Maybe we put this blanket of spirituality over it and say, no, no, no we, don't. no, we can't deal with that emotion. Anger, anger, that's a sin. No, no, scripture doesn't say anger's a sin. It says in your anger do not sin. Emotions are actually a good thing for us for, to be aware of. To, to diminish our emotions is to, is to diminish the image of God inside of us. God is an emotional God. Jesus, in the, in the, form, the God in the form of flesh, he showed us emotion. There were times where he was anxious, so anxious that he would sweat drops of blood. There were times he was angry, and he responded in that anger in a righteous way. Emotions are not bad. They are to be a red light indicator telling us what's going on, not a road map telling us where to go. Do you see the difference? We, 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 we are to discern through our emotions, not be directed by our emotions, They should make this alert inside of us going, wait, what, that physiological response, the quickening of my heart rate, the the, the racing of my pulse, the, you know, everything. When I feel that emotion because that person did that thing to me, that's not an indication that we're bad people. It's just an indication that we need to step back. And we need to figure out how to sort through that. When conflict arises, when hurt, when when things hurt us or somebody does something against us or says something against us, what I call, this is what I call happen the frustration gap begins to happen in our lives. And in this frustration gap, I'm going to teach us how to handle conflict well, and I think we can see some good reconciliation in Jacob and Esau. The frustration gap happens when we have an expectation of how someone else is going to, how we'll experience someone else, how they're going to treat us, what they're going to say to us. And then when we have an observation of that person's actions that fall short of our expectation. Now, I was going to put reality right here, but it's not necessarily true. Because we all have different interpretations out of our observations of reality. And this is where frustration begins to fester inside of us. When there is a gap between what we expect of somebody and what we observe of somebody, frustration ensues. And we begin to feel those emotions. Are you feeling them today? Is there any unaddressed conflict in your life? My, my challenge to you will be, and I'll tell you how to do it in just a second, is that we've got to lean into that conflict. We've got to do what I call run toward the roar. Do you, do you know that when lions hunt, they hunt by gender roles? I'm not sure if you, if you knew this, but the male lion actually doesn't do the lion's share. Ha ha, that was a pun, my bad. Of the hunting, you'll get it later. He, he's more bark than he is bite, He's more of a threat than he is actually somebody that could, that could destroy the prey. What a male lion will do is go to a watering hole and set himself up pretty on a rock or something on one side of the watering hole, and he'll get himself up on his haunches, flare out his mane, he'll let out this massive roar to scare the prey into the other side of the watering hole where the lioness is, the females, have set up an ambush. And so if the prey gets scared of the male lion... They run into this ambush. What the prey needs to do is counterintuitive. They need to actually run toward the thing that scares them. You know what's interesting is Scripture says that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. What's, what's crazy about this is Scripture tells us that as Christians in Christ, the enemy, Satan, has no, has no claim over our lives. He cannot devour us, but here's what he can do, church. He can divide us when we choose to run away from the thing that we should lean into. Because conflict is so difficult, it's scary, it's frightening to lean into it the proper way. There's a lot of emotions involved. We tend to run away from it. And listen to me, conflict will catch up to you. It is a booby trap. Jacob had run from conflict for years, and here he finds himself in this intersection where he has been caught up to by his conflict. Can I just lean into this for a second? The enemy's ploy in our lives is always to get a wedge and cause division. And this is why in the middle of conflict, he will cause us to do certain things. And I'm going to graph these things up. In conflict, when there's a gap of expectation, and observation, we feel frustration, this is what we tend to do. We tend to let that lead into a narration of that situation. What I mean by that is we begin to make up stories inside of our own head ascribing motives to that other person. And it ends up exacerbating what happened to us because we internalize it. And we go, well, that person, they said this, and what they, what they really meant was this, and it's because they're doing this. And, and, it, and it causes this exaggeration inside of us because we begin to create a false narrative. And, and before we know it, it's completely off from what really that person intended to do. Haven't you noticed that we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, because we know our own intentions, yet we judge other people by their actions? And this narration ends up causing accusation. When we do finally, if we do finally address it, it comes out in an accusatory tone, because it's been festering inside of us. And we end up attacking, we end up kind of vomiting on somebody else, and there's accusation. And what this leads to is separation. And friends, this is exactly what historically the church has done over and over and over and over. Why has there been denominations in the church? Because denominations could not learn how to resolve conflict well. And I just wonder what it would look like if a group of people stepped up and said, you know, what if we resolved conflict well? What if we showed the world how to have an uncommon unity? Even though we are different, we will not dishonor each other, and we will not allow this kind of thing to take place. This is what took place in Jacob and Esau's life. Is there any unresolved, unaddressed conflict in your life? The second question you need to ask yourself is, is this conflict an indicator of a change I need to make? Is this conflict an indicator of a change I need to make? The brother of Jesus, his name is James, he wrote a book called James. (laughs) And he tells us in that book, um, he tells us why conflict takes place. Now, can I just push pause for a second? What, what, What would it be like to be the brother of Jesus? You know, like you bring your report card home to mom, to Mary, you know, and she's like... I just wish you could be more like your brother. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mom. <laughs> it's like what we're all trying to do, this whole sanctification thing, be more like Jesus, you know. What would Jesus do? What would it be like to be Jesus' brother? I imagine there's probably, listen to me, some conflict that arose there. And what would be crazy about getting in conflict with Jesus is like Jesus always handles it well. I'd be so... Fr- and he's always right. So James pins this. He tells us, why is there conflict with us? This is what he says, and... James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Watch. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. This is monumentally huge at the root of all conflict is this one thing selfishness I mean if you think about it conflict happens between us because I want what I want and you want what you want and as long as that posture continues there will be tension and there will be conflict We have conflict, friends, because we have this disease of self. We have this this propensity towards self, this inward focus on wanting what we want. And that bumps up against other people that want what they want. And this is something that we were born with. We were born selfish because of the fallen nature of this world. Literally right now, I could get a text message and my wife could go into labor and we have this new baby. And I promise you, over the next three, four weeks, our baby is not coming into this world saying, Mom, how can I convenience you? He is selfish, naked, crying with an attitude, wants what he wants when he wants it. And this is why we have conflict. And Jacob is, is actually in this text, he is... On his way to a destination, a promise that God has given him. I want to take you into this really beautiful land. I want to set up this amazing inheritance for you. But in the middle of where he is at and where God wants him to go, he has to address conflict. And what's really crazy is right before this altercation with Jacob and Esau, Jacob has this monumental moment where he wrestles with God. It says that he wrestles at a place called Jabbok. Now, we can kind of read through this, and we can totally miss it because we don't understand as a, in a Western culture the Eastern implications that are happening here. This would have been read by oral tradition, and so you wouldn't have read it. You would have heard somebody say it. And as they said the phrase, and they out loud, they're around a campfire, and they told the story of Jacob wrestling with God, they would have said, Jacob wrestled with God at Jabbok, which would have sounded like Jacob a Jabbok at Jabbok. Isn't that interesting? Jacob, so, at Ejabak. So literally, Jacob is confronted right here with, with almost a mirror of his word, a mirror of his identity. He is confronted with an inward conflict that's happening that must be addressed before he can, in a healthy way, confront the outward conflict. Come on, did you catch that? Every outward conflict, any conflict around us, if you pull the thread on it, is probably happening because there's a deeper internal conflicting, conflict happening within us. Jacob, Jacob, at Jabbok, wrestled with God at Jabbok. Jabbok in the Hebrew means a desolate place. It means to lay wasteland. This is so powerful. Before Jacob could have a healthy relationship with someone else and step into the destiny that God had for him, he had to come to the end of or the wasteland of himself, wrestle with the internal conflict that's happening inside of him, and then he could step into the next thing. Friends, this is why in every conflict, the first place we have to look is inward, Anytime attention arises, before we begin making narrations and accusations, we have to go, wait a minute, is there something going on inside of me? Could this possibly be just a projection of the conflict that's happening in me? Could I be ascribing motives because that's actually the motivation of my heart? Isn't this why Jesus said before we point out the speck in someone else's eye, we must first pull out the plank in our own? He's constantly driving us back to look at your own heart, look at your own faults, look at the things that are going on inside of you. That is the only remedy to the selfishness is that for us to put on this massive thing, humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, oh, woe is me. No, humility is just thinking of yourself less and when we do think of ourselves, it's in this introspective, how can I, how can I allow the, the heart of God to transform me inside of me? So that can be a healing agent to other people as well. Is this conflict an indicator of a deeper inner conflict? The last question I need you to ask yourself is what is the most godly way to confront this conflict? What's the most godly way to confront this conflict? You see, um, I find that we kind of all exist on the spectrum of two things. We exist on the spectrum of being an attacker or an avoider in conflict. So we either really love to lean into the conflict, we love to challenge, we love to find ourselves in conflict, we love to attack, we tend to see ourselves kind of just like, and and oftentimes this can play out in putting other people down to put ourselves up, trying to win an argument. Can I tell you something? If you win the argument, you lose the heart. You lose the whole thing. We'll talk about that in just a second. But then on the other side of the spectrum, there's the avoider, who just doesn't want any kind of conflict, just smooth it over, we're not going to address it, and we find ourselves on the spectrum of that. As I'm saying this, you should be able to identify where you are. I'm, no, listen, don't identify where your spouse is. Okay? You're like that's you. Okay? No, no. Identify where you are. You're either an attacker or you're an avoider. Now, I find that I'm kind of on the avoiding aspect of things. But many times, as an avoider, what ends up happening is you just shove it, you push it down. You kind of get shaken up and stirred up, and you're like, oh, 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 I'm not going to address this, right? And you get shaken up and stirred up, and you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to address this. Will you open this for me? (laughs) (laughs) You notice this happen in your life sometimes? It just kind of gets to a boiling point, and then it just explodes. And, And can I tell you something? Both sides of the spectrum, I believe, are wrong. Attacker, avoider, attacker, avoider. What we see with Jesus is that he finds this beautiful middle ground where he's all grace, all truth, and he finds the ability of knowing how to respond in certain situations. Hear me say this. Between the offense and the response, you must put some space. You've got to step back and go, what are my emotions telling me about this? What's going on on the inside of me? And then how can I handle this in a godly way? way well well, David, jesus got mad i mean he went into the temple one time he was flipping tables he was like the hulk like got all upset about things and oh hold on hold on on. let's talk about what happened there what happened is jesus came into the temple and saw that other people were being oppressed and marginalized and cheated with this whole sacrificial system And, and and what it says is that before he responded he actually went over to the corner and he made a whip he created space he didn't attack, and he didn't avoid. He created space to go, what is the best way for me to handle this conflict in a godly way? And then he drove them out. But what's interesting is that was when an offense was done to somebody else, when offense was indicted on Jesus, when he was the, the person that was getting thrown offenses at. Remember, he was mocked at, jeered at, spat upon, right? What does it say about Jesus? What did he do? He was silent. Oh, but Davy, there's some hills you gotta die on. Yeah, I believe there are hills you need to die on. But can we re- be reminded that Jesus only died on one hill? So if you're of the persuasion that, man, I've got I to die on this hill right here, you're probably dying on too many hills. You're probably burning too many bridges. And you don't want to burn bridges that you might have to cross later. So how do we handle this in a godly way? Somewhere in the middle. Well, I believe that we do this. When frustration arises... Instead of creating narration, this is what we need to do. Consideration. Consideration. Consider ourselves. Consider our emotions. Consider what's going on on the inside. And then consider where the other person might be coming from. This is empathy. This is a powerful tool that when you begin to learn empathy, where might this other person be coming from? What are all the different scenarios that could have played out into this? It's space. Consideration, which then leads us to ask for clarification Where we approach the conflict in peacetime, we'll talk about in a second, and we say, hey, when you did this, or when you said this, it caused me to feel this way. And and your actions seem a little bit outside of what I know to be true about you. So I don't want to make any false assumptions, but here's the narrative that I'm making up in my head. Here's the story I'm making up in my head. Would you please provide me with clarification as to what you meant? I want to I wanna know, like, what were your intentions behind that? And when, when, you, when you come with that kind of humility and clarification, what it leads to is reconciliation. And this, friends, is the goal of conflict. I'm going to give you... Um, four kind of or uh i think i've got five Real, one two three four rules of engagement write these down really quick rules of engagement on how to do this well seek to resolve not to be right if one of us wins in this whole thing we both lose hey this is huge in marriages guys which i'll just hit pause um dave and mary are sitting up here they they lead tsm I would highly encourage every married couple, whether you feel conflict in your relationship now or or not, to attend TSM because not only does it help you sort through some of these like these issues, but then it takes you to the next step of how to find purpose and being a healing agent in as, as a married couple to the world. It's a powerful thing. so next week, I would highly encourage you to attend this. but but in our conflict, seek to resolve, not to be right. create peacetime conversations. Create peacetime conversations. So this means, We need to be proactive, not reactive. Tone and timing is everything. And so not in the moment, but later on, in peace, create the conversation of confrontation. Avoid always and never language. Man, when you lay out always, it's so overgeneralizing that it doesn't even give the other person space to transform as a person. You always do this. Well... Maybe that has been a pattern, but it's not, it's never always, and it's never, never. And and would you give me an opportunity to improve? To to hear you? And to, to improve on that? And then last, don't ascribe motives. Instead, when we need to confront, ask for clarity. Listen. Reflect back. Seek to understand, not trying to just be understood. And then seek for reconciliation This is what happens with uh, Jacob and Esau it says that Jacob took a posture that I'm encouraging us to take in our conflict it says in verse 1 of chapter 33 Jacob divided the children among Leah Rachel and the two among Leah Rachel and the two female servants he put the female servants and their children in front Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph in the rear he himself went on ahead And bowed down to the ground. Do you see this? Bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Do you see the posture of humility? This was a statement in ancient times. Esau's coming in battle formation. Jacob says, I'm going to divide up the troops, so to speak. And I'm going to go out in front and I'm going to offer myself in humility. Humility is the highway to healing. When he does this, something powerful happens. It says in verse 4, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. Years of conflict. Many scholars believe Jacob was 70 years old at this time. Years of conflict melted away because of one thing, humility. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept then Jacob tries to give him a gift and Esau refuses and Jacob goes no please I found favor in your eyes accept this gift from me watch this for to see your face is like seeing the face of God guys this is what happens when we as the church and we in our families family units who have chosen to follow Jesus when we enter into conflict well it's like the world gets to see the face of God. It's the best representation that we can make of Jesus. Why? Because think about the greatest conflict of all time. We fell short of God's expectation. All of us. It doesn't matter if you're a stripper or a saint, a priest or a prostitute, along any spectrum, no matter what your past is, your brokenness, we have all fallen short of God's expectation. But instead of creating narration of Himself, an accusation toward us, no, Scripture says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, God wrapped Himself in flesh, and He humbled Himself and came to earth in the form of a servant. He showed us humility is the highway to healing. People will tell you, all right, man, take the high road. Take the high road on this one. No, I'm telling you, take the low road. Humble yourself as Jesus did. And it led the way, Philippians 2 tells us, for us to be reconciled with God. And now we are agents of reconciliation. But we have to lean into it, and we have to lean into it well. Would you you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to just create a moment right now where we can respond. The second we're going to respond in worship, we're going to sing a song that reminds us of this gap, this chasm that was filled by the grace of God. In the gap, God brought grace. And I just want that truth to, to just matriculate down from our head into our heart and help us to, to, to realize that in our conflict, no matter what's happened to us, if we address it in a godly way. There can be grace and there can be healing. Jesus, I ask right now that as we're thinking about maybe the number of people that we currently have conflict with, the tensions that are in our family or in our relationships, which, would we take cues from you Jesus, would you be our model? Would you show us how to empty ourselves of ourself and how to, how to be humble? How to operate and act in humility toward other people? Considering other people before we consider ourselves. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you humbled yourself in the form of a servant and you died for us so that we could be reconciled back to the Father. We could have right relationship. We could be made clean, our sin could be wiped away, God. I pray that anybody who does not or has not experienced that, that today they would experience it. You can experience that under the sound of my voice by just simply calling out to God right now, saying, God, I I need you. I know I'm sinful. I know I've fallen short. Would Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Can we be reconciled? Can this relationship be made right? And man, he is like like Esau was. He is running at you and embracing you and weeping because he's so glad you came on. Jesus, make that our reality in here today. In your name we pray.